you have to admire a narcissist. You really stop and think about it because uh, a, narcissist, a narcissist looks at the universe, same universe in which we live, and uh, draws the conclusion that he, or maybe in the case she, but mostly I think it's the he's <laughs> that end up, uh, they look at the universe and they think, you know what, I, I deserve to be worshipped. Yeah, I deserve to be worshipped. A narcissist has to ignore just a whole wealth of information uh, and just keep it you know, completely out, out of his vision and just concentrate on the idea that he is worthy of utter and total devotion of his soul. And contrary to all the conflicting information and evidence, he has to believe that he is like God to himself and, of course, to all those around him who should be just dutifully worshipful toward him. The rest of us eventually uh, catch on to the fact that that's not going to work. How many of you are at that point? I'm not saying you're not selfish. I mean, we're all selfish. Uh, it doesn't take a, a narcissist to be. It's just that a narcissist has fooled himself into believing that that makes complete sense given where he stands in the, in the order of things. The rest of us, we eventually get to that point where even in our selfishness, we realize that we make really lousy gods. We wear ourselves out very quickly trying to keep ourselves on the throne. Pretty soon we're just like, this is not working. We look at ourselves and we go, this guy that's staring back at me, you know, I'm lucky if my, you know, if my dog likes me. Uh, but to think that the whole universe should see it that way, it's, not, it's just not going to. Our souls need, what I'm getting at, our souls need something more, don't they? Something higher and greater and uh, better than ourselves. Is eventually you have to come to that place, and hopefully for you, you are so blessed that you come to that point where you see that there is something and someone greater than yourself that is worthy of being worshipped. And of course, I'm thinking today of the name of Jesus Christ. That name, when that name becomes precious to you, when you realize within your universe that that's what matters, it just takes so much pressure off. So today, the message to you that I'm trying to, to, to preach is that, that you are to proclaim the name of Jesus with every ounce and fiber of your being. I'm not just talking about preaching. So don't just hear this as, go preach the gospel, uh, or anything quite, anything quite that grand. You do, not, you do not have to be here every Sunday standing up and, and delivering uh, the message for this to apply to you. That, I'm, I'm saying that our whole life trajectory the whole purpose of our being should be to honor the name of Jesus and to hold it out there and to proclaim it and speak it and, and live for that, for that to be what really animates you as opposed to whatever other thing that you... And I think that gives freedom. I've talked to other Christians that say the same thing, that when they reached that point where that, re that coin dropped, that suddenly there was just something that just was like lifted from them. Like, oh, okay, I... You, contrary to what the world says, you know, I don't have to be all that I can be. You know, I, I don't have to make something of myself. I want to make much of Jesus. And if in the process he wants to do something great and grand with me in the world's eyes, that's cool. If not, it really doesn't matter. As we look at the text today, um, the name of Jesus is very prominent. I hope that you will see that. This is after the healing of the lame man, when Peter healed the lame man in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and it, there it was very much about the name of Jesus, and we, we see this again in the text today. Uh, we pick up here uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, as, and as they were speaking to the people, 
the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. All right, so proclaim the name of Jesus. First of all, even though it annoys many, even though, isn't this freeing just, it, just when I say that, doesn't that immediately just kind of free up a tad bit? You thought it was just you that was annoying. Chances are your wife has told you the same thing, and, uh, or your husband, and uh, who knew? But it, it could just be the name of Jesus that, that, that you're carrying around with you. It will annoy people. Peter has boldly preached the gospel. The message is getting traction. We find out that people respond to it. The miracle was absolutely miraculous, which is kind of the nature of miracles, to be miraculous. But I mean, it was a stunning miracle. We, we've talked about how conspicuous it was, how undeniable, uh, because of where it took place and how many people had seen this guy and just the incredible miracle of, of what happened with his feet. And so there's this, there's this crowd that's forming. It's like a Beatles concert with, with people just coming in. And you know, scripturally, and you know in your own life, that the minute the gospel is getting traction, what are you going to get? You could put different words to this to describe what I'm talking about, but I think you know what I mean, and that's pushback. You ever notice that in your life? Maybe when you said yes to the gospel, like immediately the next morning you had a flat tire. <laughs> or whatever. You just started, like, it almost felt like as, as all these good things, you know, spiritually were happening around you, it felt like, wow, where are all these forces of darkness that seem to be coming from kind of amassed against me? But that's what you, you find. As they are still speaking the, the words of the gospel, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, they arrive at the scene. These people pretty make, much make up all of the personnel and the power structures of the temple and it said that no, there's no Pharisees in their midst you remember the Sadducees and the Pharisees no Pharisees there at this point um, it says they were greatly annoyed back where I come from and I think here in Kansas too do you ever say they had themselves worked up into a lather yeah worked up into a lather they were cheesed off can we can we say that from the pulpit they were not happy with what, with what was going on. And this would have been a sc really scary, hostile moment because these are the people, again, these are like the police for that, for that place called the temple that are just descending. Have you ever seen any of these YouTube videos? And maybe it's just me for watching stupid, uh, I don't watch TikTok, but I do, I do see my share of YouTube videos, it seems like. Um, don't know how I got on this kick, but for a while I, I kept watching videos that popped up that showed people trying to transgress the tomb of the unknown soldier during the, during the, the guard's duty. Have you ever seen people try to do that? Yeah, just me, right? But there's a cordon, you know, there's a rope that keeps you back and there's the guy, you know, doing his thing, which I can't really imitate because I've not been in the military. Don't want to do that. But anyway, he's, he's marching along there, very sharp and crisp and everything looks good. And then these people will do something dumb again and they try to walk across the rope and oh my goodness. It's, good, it's a good thing that I don't think they actually put any bullets in their, in their guns because this guy, he comes at you. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a little kid or an old person or a woman or a man. I mean, they come after you 
with hammer and tong. You're, you know, you're not supposed to go there. Consider for a moment what happened to Gentiles if they got in the wrong place in the temple. There was that dividing wall. Paul uses it as an illustration about how Jesus has broken down that, that, that dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. It, there was, he's referring there, though, to a literal wall that existed, a rather low wall that kept the Gentiles back. It was designed for that. And around the whole, and if you transgressed that, that was on you because there were signs everywhere in multiple languages saying, if you're a foreigner, you stay back. If you cross this line, you understand we're going to kill you. That was essentially the message. Like, that's on you, not on us. We told you, you cross this line, you are dead. And of course, the annoyance with Peter is not that he's a, a, a Gentile. He's a Jewish man. He, he, he belongs there just as much as anyone else. But what disturbs them is that he's teaching. He's teaching the people. He's proclaiming in Jesus. You could read that as shorthand for in Jesus' name, but in Jesus, through Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. They may not have been thrilled to have a Galilean, uneducated fisherman teaching at all, but it's this, it's this content that... that has them disturbed it's jesus and it's the resurrection that's the name of jesus and it's the resurrection they didn't believe in jesus obviously because they were the ones instrumental in his death they were the men who turned him over to Pilate and had him crucified but they also really really you remember this about sadducees right they really really didn't believe in the resurrection they didn't believe in any resurrection. They didn't believe any, in any existence of the soul beyond death itself. And they certainly didn't believe in a resurrection. They, believe, they didn't, not the resurrection, and not the resurrection of one single man. They were totally against that, even though they were getting evidence uh, to the contrary, right? If you think back to verses uh, 15 through 16 of the last chapter, chapter 3, this is probably what they're reacting to. In Peter's teaching, it says, this is Peter speaking there, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by his name, there's the name, by faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, either someone had heard that and reported it to the priests, or it could be that when they saw the crowd, that they were immediately headed that way, and then coming up on this, they heard Peter preaching this very thing. One way or another, they were, they were, not, they were not happy. Well, they were annoyed. Doesn't that seem like it's understated just a bit? I, I think actually the English there is a little lackluster for what is actually, uh, I mean, it's a burr under their saddle. They're, they're not happy, and so they arrest him, and they put him in kind of a, a, a jail, or we used to call that the pokey or the hooskow. How many said the hooskow growing up? Just, am I like, hey, all right, yay. I put that on Facebook, and it's like a couple people, most people. I don't know. It was, it's an old word for, for jail. They put him in jail there at the temple overnight. Within just a few hours, poor Peter and John, you think about this. It said they went up at um, the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m., so within a very short period of time, and you understand when Luke gives us what was said, he's condensing, right? 
So, uh, so he goes there, they see the guy, they go through the, the, the miracle, they, the whole thing of going into the temple, and there's leaping, and there's a crowd, and then finally people settle down enough for Peter to speak, and it probably is, it takes like, what, 40 seconds maybe to read the entire sermon, if that, but um, in real life he probably said a lot more than Luke condensed it down to. And then the, then the priests come, all this, by evening, they're already in jail. And that would just spin your, spin your head around. Defending ourselves can get exhausting. Can get exa- how, how much of our time is wasted worrying about what people say and think about you and think about us? Trying to do this thing of always keeping our name, you know, unspotted and, and making sure that everybody says nice. Isn't that a losing cause? Do you ever feel that way? Like people say bad things about you and, and, and you try your, your hardest to somehow offset that, even if it's just the mental effort. Because a lot of times that conversation you're having is, is in here, right? Well, how dare they say such a thing? Because I've done this, 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 this. What have they done? Blah, 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 blah. Do you, ever, you ever have that conversation inside? I'm the only sinner in the bunch that's ever had these kinds of conversations in their head. It is such a waste of time, isn't it? It's like, it's like bailing water out, out of a bullet-ridden boat and, and you're doing it with a colander and on top of it, the boat's not worth anything to begin with. It's all, it's all dry rot. I mean, that's what it's like, it feels like to me. But when we get a hold of the idea that it's about Jesus, our whole perspective changed. For, for one, we're freed. We're freed to suffer for his name instead of our own name to have the privilege of bearing his shame. And, and the second is that when we bear his name, sometimes people respond. The funny thing is, if you notice what's happening in the text, as Peter and John, I mean, it kind of Luke, the way Luke puts it with the juxtaposition of it all, it's almost like as Peter and John are being drug off to jail, what's happening? People are coming to faith. People are coming to faith during that very moment. It's like they're getting, you know, they're, they're, they're having their name used in vain probably. But as that's happening, as the name of Jesus has gone forth, many, many believe. 5,000 men at this point make up the church. 5,000 men, and that's not counting their, their wives and their children. What would it have been at this point? Maybe 10,000 people already or more were believers in Jesus Christ. Yes, the gospel annoys people. Yes, the name of Jesus attracts hostility. But it's only his name, ultimately, that should really matter to us. It's only his name. Think how freeing that would be if you, just had to, if you could just give up on worrying about you and just focus on Jesus. Very famously, uh, and so famous that I only heard it this week, um, Nicholas, uh, Count Nicholas Sinzendorf famously said, you must be content to suffer, to die, and be forgotten as a Christian. To be forgotten. Where, where does your name really matter, biblically speaking? Think about it. Think hard. Scripturally speaking, it mentions our names in the Scripture. The book of life. That's right. Is your name written there? Do you know that your name's written there? Some of you may be sitting here going, wait, I didn't know there was a book of life, and I don't know if I'm written there. And we'll talk. We need to talk about the gospel. But, but most of you know, that's my name is written there. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter whether the people around you remember your name. 
It doesn't matter what they say about your name. If you're living for the Lord, if you're living for his name, eh, eh. <laughs> Write that down. Pastor said, eh. That's our response. Okay. <sighs> Feels good. Secondly, take no prisoners. How many are... <laughs> You're just waiting for the day that the pastor gives you permission. Take no prisoners. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. A lot of these names sound really familiar, don't they, in recent uh, history there as we've uh, seen it unfold. And all who were at the high, of the high priestly family, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power and by what name did you do this? So Peter and John spend all night in the pokey, and uh, you can imagine what this must feel like to them. I don't know, I think PTSD only started uh, existing when we named it, right? Before that, it never, never. Wouldn't they have been close to PTSD? If you think of how traumatic watching Jesus, the, the one you love and the one you see as, as, as God's son and the Messiah, when you see him carried off and mistreated and, and crucified and, and buried, going through all of that trauma, and now there they are. These are the same people. This looks exactly, you know, I mean, with minor differences, it looks exactly like how they arrested Jesus. And now they're in jail, and now they're awaiting a trial the next day. You know they've got to be just like beside themselves. And I'm thinking of what Peter, how, Peter must have been like coaching himself, wouldn't you? Like, don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. Don't deny him. Don't, like, because it's just weeks after he just totally folded, and now it looks like it's all happening again. The assembly that morning, is the, it's the full weight and breadth of the, of the Jewish nation, the Jewish temple coming against him. It would have been like appearing before Congress. The, I mean, this, this is ominous. It says they set them in the midst of them. What does that sound like? They set them in the midst of them. All these power, powerful people set them in the midst of them. I mean, this is like, this is the, this is the biggest, most lying, dangerous group of, 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 of murderous sharks to circle God's people. I mean, I'm mixing my metaphors, but I mean, it's like Daniel and the lion's den. They're like predators surrounding the people of God. It's, it's, it would be scary. And if we don't think that, if we think these guys were floating a, you know, six feet above the ground at all times and full of faith and never, never wavering, I, I think we're forgetting who we're dealing with then. They're, they would be scared. This reminds me, though, of that... Um, oh, sorry. It says um, their, their question, and this gets to the idea, of, is, J, is Pastor Jay right about the theme here of the name of Jesus? Look, look at what they're... This is where you really see the rubber meet the road. You see the crux their question, by what power or by what name did you do this? It reminds me of that very famous moment in the Battle of the Bulge, which I've, I've mentioned before. If you, if you hang out here long enough, like five, ten years, you're going to hear some of the same illustrations more than once. But I like this one. It's just too good to, to pass up, even though I've, I've used it before. And, and that's when uh, General McAuliffe and the 101st Airborne were surrounded. How many know that story? Yes. And, uh, and the Germans are like, you must surrender or we will, we will annihilate you. And, uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, 
they're like, what do we tell the Germans? And he says, ah, nuts. And they said, no, what, what should we write? And he says, just, just what I just said. And they said, you just said nuts. And he's like, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm saying. And um, McAuliffe was not, did not use curse words. I, the, the, his, those that knew him, he, he never cursed. So he said, nuts. And they took that, you know, and, and they, you know, they were under a white flag, you know, of parlay or whatever. And they, say, they go back and they're like, uh, General McAuliffe says, nuts. And the Germans are like, you know, what is this nuts? What is that? And they're like, he means go to. <laughs> and then they, got, then they got the message. But it was all okay. He ended up, they, they ended up all right. But um, this is that kind of moment for Peter. They're, I mean, they're being squeezed. They're being threatened. Just the presence and how it's shaped and putting them there in the middle. This is, this is like we're about to annihilate you. And so you better have an answer and they think that they've thrown a 96-mile-per-hour you know, fastball across the plate and that he's just going to swing and miss. And instead, you know, he's, Peter swings the bat, catches it out of the middle. It goes over the center field wall out of the stadium. That's that. This is the kind of moment that we're looking at. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. I, for some reason, I pictured Popeye right after he popped a can of spinach. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Do you get kind of an idea here? that they were getting a little more than they bargained for? This, I mean, isn't this described as, as uh, an oops moment? How many of you remember or in history class have learned about the Iran-Contra affair and the testimony of Oliver North before a joint session of Congress? Yeah, that was a moment. Like, like the people that were sort of anti-Reagan, um, had thought that they were going to just have this Watergate moment, and they thought that this, this Oliver North character, that they could call him up and put him on the hot seat and grill him and make him squirm, and boy, did they miscalculate that. Do you, do you guys remember that lived through that, what a miscalculation that was? Because he came up there dressed in his military uniform, and he was like, take no prisoners. He didn't apologize for anything. He didn't have to explain himself. He just like spoke the truth. And it was a, it was a ruinous moment for the opposition at that moment in the news media because the people of you know, America just listened to it and went, oh, I like that guy. I like that guy. Peter shames them. Let me paraphrase what he's saying here to them for just a moment. I, I'm sure you understood it, but he's kind of like, okay, wait a second. All right, um, to correct you, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're, you put us in jail, and the charge is that we healed a lame man. That's the good thing that, that, that we're facing a judicial hearing on, is that, is that we healed somebody that was born lame, and now they can walk, and now they can enter the temple, and they can leap, and they can shout, and they can praise God. We're on trial for that, right? Okay, all right. So, well, all right, I'll tell you. If you want to know by what name we did that, we did it by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. I don't know if you remember that or not, but you guys are on the hook for that. But God raised him from the dead. If you want to know why this guy is running around and leaping, it's him. 
It's the name of Jesus. Peter is not ashamed to stand for the name of Jesus. He doesn't feel weak. He doesn't feel intimidated. He doesn't feel powerless. He stands. He delivers. He takes no no prisoners. If this were an Indiana Jones movie, the, the high priest's face would be like melting at this moment at just how badly this goes for them. To be fair, we're not Peter. I do want to stress that as I have stressed before. So I don't think any of us are going to end up at the temple in Jerusalem, currently not there, um, being tried by the the Jewish high council. So, I mean, there's a lot here that's different for us. But I will say this, that every single person who bears the name of Christ is going to suffer persecution is going to face the powers that be. We're, we're going to be Daniel in the lion's den. We're going, to, we're going to be circled by the sharks. There's going to be times when we have to take a stand. And we, I say we take no prisoners. I said, you know, we've got the, the, the same Holy Spirit that filled Peter. Because it's, you know, like that was the can of spinach right there. It was, it was the Holy Spirit that filled him. And that's what, we have the same Holy Spirit We have the same gospel. We have the same name. We bear the same name. It is the name of Jesus. Not saying that we'd be unkind. I'm not saying we should be arrogant. I'm saying we know that the name of Jesus is worthy. Is he worthy? Yeah. Yes, he's worthy. That name is worthy. That name, by that name, you were raised from the dead out of your sin, out of your trespasses, out of your guilt. All, the, all the, that which was written against you was nailed to the cross through the name of Jesus Christ. Finally, finally, proclaim the name as the only name by which we must be saved. So Peter paraphrases Psalm 118, um, which this should sound familiar to you. Psalm 118 is practically, if not the most quoted, certainly in the top three most quoted verses in the New Testament. Um, Psalm 118, this is his paraphrase. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Did, did that sound familiar at all? It should. I mean, it, it's come up, it comes up many times as you read your way through the New Testament. And uh, the metaphor is a little bit like the story of the, um, the statue of David that stands in Florence. How many have been to Florence to see that? Brenda, you've been there, right? Any, anyone else? How many have seen it in a book? The statue of David or on TV, right? Big, magnificent thing done by Michael. Did you know that that thing was commissioned like 25 years before Michelangelo did that? Before, it was probably before he was actually born because he was in his 20s when he did it. But they had this, one of these great Renaissance um, sculptors, I can't remember the guy's name, but he, I mean, you can see some of his sculptures, they're, they're really quite good. And he tried, he just got started on the legs and gave up. And, and then, uh, then they hired another guy, another Renaissance um, sculptor, and he came in and he just took a couple chisels on it and he went, nope, no, this stone is, it's, uh, it's inferior. Like, yeah, this thing's not worth it. It's, it, it's going to break. I'm not going to be that guy. So for 25 years, that, that stone languished. And then along came Michelangelo, and they're like, what do you see? He says, I see David. You know, I, that's not literally a quote from Michelangelo. But in essence, he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm Michelangelo. I, I guess he knew that already. And uh, 
And the rest is history. Like the most famous sculpture probably out of the Renaissance would be, I would have to think it'd be that statue. And he made it out of a supposedly imperfect stone. Um, but Psalm 18 isn't talking about this, the statue of David, is it? The metaphor there is similar, though, that you've got builders, you've got the experts, and that's the important thing to understand there in the, in the analogy, one of the important things to understand. The builders, not just some guy that they, you know, hired to be a beast of burden. These were the people that knew how to build. They knew the geometry. They knew the, all of the ins and outs of it, and they went to the quarry, and there's the stones being quarried by the laborers, and they looked at this one stone, and somebody's like, that is a massive stone. What are we going to do with that? And they all went, hmm. No, just no, that's not going to work, not going to work in any way. And I don't know if it would have been 25 years later, but at some point somebody went, hey, 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 look at that stone again. And they went, of course, that's the cornerstone. And it was taken and made into the cornerstone of the temple. The builders in view here are the leaders. They have Peter and John on trial, and the stone that they rejected is Jesus Christ. And isn't it amazing how the tables are turned here? They think they had, they thought that they had Peter on the hot seat. They think they have him at a clear disadvantage and he takes the whole thing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, flips it around and in essence says, here's the problem guys, you're the ones that were already predicted in the Old Testament. Those that should know better, the builders, the ones that have expertise, all the great potentates, all the people with all the knowledge, all the, all the smart guys in the room. You're those guys who rejected the very cornerstone of God's temple. That you, you, this, was, this, this was foretold that you would be these, these, these people making that mistake. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And here's the best part, the last verse of our text. And there is salvation in no one else for... There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I would put that up there in my probably top 10 verses that, that I love, and you've probably heard me quote it a lot. It's one of my favorite verses when I get to that end of the message and, and I'm just trying to hold the gospel out to people. This is so, so good. There is no other name. You could go to, you could travel from one edge of the universe to the other. Well, you couldn't really, because that's just impossible. You, you're not even going to make it to the next star in your lifetime if, if using conventional means at the speed of light. But if you could, literally, you think about it, not just from one edge of a, the solar system to another or from one edge of our galaxy, but you could go across the whole universe and there would be no other name that would bring salvation to the souls of God's people than the name of Jesus Christ. He's the only name by which we are saved from sin and eternal destructions. It's destruct the, the rulers of this world didn't want to hear that. They'd invested too much in their own thing. They'd, they'd worked too hard making a name for themselves. They had no interest. They didn't want the guilt. They didn't want to admit that they'd rejected the Savior. Men and women today may reject the Savior as well. For different reasons. Why do people reject the name of Jesus today? Lots of reasons, I guess. But many of them just want to think that God is a concept. Not a real person. Not, not the actual creator of the universe. People want to look at God 
as if these, this concept that is open to everyone's interpretation. So God is a man, God is a woman, God is one, God is multiple, God is this way, God is that way, it doesn't matter, it's whatever you want to think about God. And then we arrive eventually at the point where we think, well, you know, God should just accommodate himself to, to me, and if, and if I as a sinner think God should just accommodate himself to me, then I'm, start, I'm going to start to think, you know what, this whole sin thing, God, you got to let that go. Oh, you know what, I do think God let that go. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he cares about sin at all. In fact, I'd go so far as to think that, that God's just going to save everyone, you know, because we're all such good folk. That's kind of where the world is today. And our message is there is one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And people don't want to hear that, maybe. So how do we nuance it? Let's, let's workshop this. How do we nuance that message? Hmm. To ask the question is, is to answer it, isn't it? You can't nuance that. You can't nuance that kind of a message. You can't make it sound good to the ears that want to reject that sort of truth. But if a person knows themselves to be a sinner, if a person understands themselves to be under God's judgment, facing an eternity without him, that message will fall on their ears like the sweetest music that you've ever heard. It will be like the offer of water to someone who is just moments away from perishing from dehydration. There is a name, there's one name, only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus. What should we do with that name? What should we do with that name? Hide it under a rock. That would be one option. How many think that seems to be where the text is taking us today? Hide that name under, no, no. Don't be silly, Jay. It's hard not to be. Um, no, we're supposed to proclaim it. We're supposed to be telling it. And again, I don't mean that you have to become a preacher. I don't even mean you have to become a street corner evangelist. I'm saying that your life as a believer should be about that. That is your marching order. That is why you are here. You're not here for your own name. Hallelujah. Is anybody else tired of worrying about that? You don't have to worry about that. You don't, you don't have to sell yourself. You don't have to prove yourself in that sense. All you have to do is care about the name of Jesus and then take no prisoners and, and let the chips fall where they're gonna fall. You don't even have to be eloquent. You realize that? Was Peter terribly eloquent here? I mean, I'll give him kudos. I think it was pretty powerful, but really? Did he convince the rulers? Not to my knowledge, it sure didn't look that way. You don't have to have an airtight argument to, to proclaim the name of Jesus. You have to love the name of Jesus. You, have, you just have to love that name. You have to think that that name is worthy above your name or anyone else's name. That's, that's all that's really needed. And then you proclaim, hey, we're just people in a burning building who know zero zip nada about uh, combustion or, you know, the nature and the physics of a fire. All we are, we're just there and people are dying and we spot this, this is exactly like that sign above the door over there and we can see it and we're just going, there, that's the name. That's the only name. That's the only way out of here. Everyone, 
there. That's the way. That's all we are. Isn't that freeing to you? Proclaim the name of Jesus. And if you don't know him today, that's what we have to offer you. We're not good at therapy. Um, We're not an amusement park. Uh, We're not a great social club. We're just the church. We're just the church that has a message about Jesus Christ and salvation in him. And we offer him to you on God's behalf today. We offer to you the name of Jesus by which you must be saved. Turn to him, believe in him, and be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we could get excited thinking about your name and really thinking, Lord, about how that frees us. And it does, Lord. There, there, there's so many people that carry heavy, heavy burdens about shame and failure, Lord. And, and you really rescue and free us from those things, Lord. May our hearts be completely and totally fixed upon the glory that is due your name. May we live, Lord, to make your name great, to to proclaim it, to hold it up, to treasure it, so that people that are in darkness might see light, so that people who are lost might find the way, that they might find it through your name. And we ask it in your name. Amen.